most people don't think about that because they look at what's a good camera that can do all the base high level overview stuff like vlogging, podcasting, whatever, but you're really not considering that next layer deep. It's not just podcasting. It's podcasts over 20, 30 minutes, an hour. It's not just live streaming. It's making sure that you can stream with your top of the line kit or can it just USB live stream as well. So just think about the different scenarios that you will be in and the future goals that you want and just see, can this camera have a big enough ceiling or does it for you to really be able to get through all the stuff that you need when it comes to content. Welcome to the Video Simplify podcast, where I help you simplify the video creation process to help you reach wider and connect deeper with the people that need you the most. From learning to use your camera to simplifying video strategies to help you grow your brand and share your vision using video. So let's jump right into today's episode. What is up, entrepreneurs? Welcome back to the Video Simplify podcast with me, your hostess, the mostess, Diana Gladney. And if you have been paying attention in the camera space, especially as a content creating entrepreneur, you probably are seeing a crap ton of cameras come out. It is literally like camera Christmas, but here's the big deal. If none of these cameras are right for you, or if you're picking the wrong one, just simply based off of reviewers, me included, you're based off of our excitement for how it fits us best, or just our assumptions in certain niches of how it may do well or not without even really fully putting it through its paces. Now, granted, we have our experience to put to work for us and let us know if it is gonna be right or wrong, but you ultimately need to be able to identify if the camera is really right for you or not, because it's just annoying as hell to get a camera, spend all this money on all these accessories and all this other stuff, and then within 30 days or less, sometimes it's after your 30-day return period for some of these stores, or most of them, and now you have to go through trading it in. How much money are you going to get back on that? And then how long is it between the trade-in and you getting the new camera? Or just cough up the money and get the new one and then do all that stuff on the back. It's it's annoying. It's annoying as hell. And I get it. I want to help you be able to pick the best camera for you. Not just for YouTube. Not just for podcasting. Not just for content creation or shorts. None of that. Specifically for you and the kind of content that you intend to create. This does not have to be a hard process. It's actually very, very simple. So let's go ahead and get into it. The very first thing that you need to do is identify your intended use case. If you don't know how you plan to really use this camera and for YouTube is not good enough or for podcasting, not good enough, for shorts or vertical content, not good enough. You really need to get detailed with how you plan to use your camera. I suggest making a list, like go line by line uh, and use bullet points. It's usually the easiest of how you plan to use the camera. So if it is podcasting, list that. If it is for shorts and you know those are 60 seconds or less, maybe you're batch recording 10 or 20 at a time, then say that. If you know that you're going to be doing a whole lot of vlogging, don't just write that for vlogging. Put this specific kind of vlogging. If I'm doing a vlog, like right now, I got the GoPro getting a time lapse of me out in the corner to do a vlog for the vlog channel, in addition to BTS of me doing reviews and stuff for the gear that I'm trying. Well, here's the thing. It don't matter that I'm saying it's for a podcast or for long form content. That's too generic. We need to go another layer deeper and saying like podcast over 20 minutes, podcast over two hours. There are some people that have really long shows. You may have a interview show. And if your interviews are an hour to two hours, just recording 
it can take that long. Sometimes you're talking to the other person when they first join. So maybe you're on for like 20, 30 minutes before you actually do the show. And the show is an hour. So your camera's pushing close to two hours that it's just been on and running. Is that going to be a problem? So that's the kind of stuff that you need to list to give you an idea of like an exhaustive more list of things that I have for my use case. I have one here, like sitting down, talking head style videos to record a podcast and YouTube videos. Those videos are usually going to be 10 to 15 minutes or less. On the shorter end, it may be five to seven minutes or less. Uh, obviously, you have shorts. Those are generally going to be 60 seconds or less. But it's not only the time denomination. It's making sure I understand that I'm batch recording a bunch of those. So the runtime on the camera would be a lot. Another common one would be live streaming. Well, not just live streaming in general, but live streaming for over an hour and at home and on the go. So this is important because if in the next tip where I talk about your non-negotiables and what should be on that list, one of the things is when I'm at home, my regular live streaming setup is using a capture card. It's going to use a dummy battery and I'm usually going to have that camera on all day in addition to client calls. So I may go from a podcast to a client call and just to an event that I'm doing. It can vary from one thing to another. And events can last for upwards an hour to three if you're joining, doing Q&A, um, doing a panel and all kinds of stuff. So you have these digital stages that you may be on. How long are you having to be on the green room where you're checking in and blah, blah, blah. Now your camera's not just on for the 45 minutes to an hour of your talk, but it could be upwards of two to three hours. What do you need it to do? Does it need to record internally and for you to be able to live stream at the same time? So I love the Sony cameras because I can do that without having to worry about it. Those are important things to have access to. Now, this is why a lot of people end up having to buy multiple cameras or within a year's time frame or less, they end up investing in a different camera. Because when you think about it, you didn't go through all the list of non-negotiables. You maybe just watched some videos, saw that they said it would be good. And again, I could be guilty and in included in this as well, but I try to be more detailed, specific to content creating entrepreneurs, just because like I know, like that gets annoying for a fact it gets annoying. I've been through that process myself. So I know how frustrating it can be when you want to make sure that this is working. And then number two, it's going to actually work for you. So you're not getting at the shoot, at the recording, at the event. And then you figure out and you see like, like, and you learn this ain't going to work for me really well. So that's one of the use cases. Um, one to three years out. It's really what you got to think about one to three years out. Most people only think about what they plan to do in the next year or so. But can this camera purchase survive your goals? If I know I want to do a documentary on something that I'm super passionate about, or I want to jump into my journalism bug and I'm going to take my camera and I'm going to go someplace and I'm documenting somebody else's experience or whatever. And I'm putting together an article or a feature uh, film or something that I'm doing for myself because I want to share a vision. I want to share and get more knowledge about certain things. I want more people to be aware, whatever that may be two, three years down the line. Can your camera survive all that stuff? Most people don't think about that because they look at what's a good camera that can do all the base high level overview stuff like vlogging, podcasting, whatever, but you're really not considering that next layer deep. It's not just podcasting, 
is podcast over 20, 30 minutes an hour. It's not just live streaming. It's making sure that you can stream with your top of the line kit or can it just USB live stream as well? So just think about the different scenarios that you will be in and the future goals that you want and just see, can this camera have a big enough ceiling or does it for you to really be able to get through all the stuff that you need when it comes to content? Second thing you want to do is make sure you have your list of what I call non-negotiables. This is what my camera should have regardless of what brand it is or how much it costs. Without a doubt, these are the things that not just I want. These are the things the camera must have. To give you an idea of that, I have things like 4K recording, unlimited recording, a microphone and a headphone port. I also have a flip out screen. Um, I would love if, like when I was with Canon initially uh, back in the day, I would love for it to have for a touchscreen feature, but as long as I could see myself, I can deal with the buttons because I can navigate the camera. So that was something that was like a need versus a want, but being able to see myself was a must. So until Sony did that, starting with the a6400, then I converted over and got the better camera because cameras can be great, but if it's missing something like another one on my list, re completely reliable autofocus. Nothing is 100%, but like 97 and 95 and 98% is still pretty gosh darn good because that small fraction of a fraction that it might is really, and most of the time, is you're not going to really ever run into it. So with Sony, I've never had to worry about the autofocus. You will have some cameras that have quirks depending on how much it costs or where it is or how old it is. But if you look at any of the recent releases for honestly, any of the brands they are doing better, but I still think Canon and Sony do the absolute uh, best when it comes to what you need to have in a camera and that base list of stuff being there in the camera already to meet that list. So some other things that are on my list of non-negotiables, like I said, it's clean HDMI out. I also have the USB live streaming because when I am traveling and I'm in my hotel room, I still have meetings and stuff that I need to get to. Or depending on when the time is at an event, I may still be able to take, like I say, a 30 or 60 minute coaching call with a client uh, just to make sure we don't have to reschedule so I'm not completely altering everything, especially if I know I'm going to be chilling, I'm going to be in the room, I'm not going to be out and about then it makes sense to still do like smaller calls. I don't want to travel with a capture card. I don't want to travel with a dummy battery unnecessarily. I don't like, wait, like if there's a category for how I really enjoy to create, it is ultralight as an ultralight content creator. I want to carry the camera, one, maybe two lenses. Uh, the one microphone that I'm going to need that's on the camera, which is the Movo VXR10. And then I want the mobile setup of if I need better audio. So that'd be for me now, it's the DJI wireless and then the Rode uh, lapel microphones that I use. That's it. I want to keep it super duper small. And that is it. I won't carry anything else. One camera, one lens, maybe two if there's really a need for it. But I'm not carrying a bunch of stuff. So to have a capture card and then a dummy battery and all the... Mm -mm. I cut all that out when the ZV-1 came out. So now having even 4K live streaming in a camera like the Sony ZV-E10 and uh, the, well, not the ZV-E10, but the Sony ZV-E1 game changer because now I can get even higher quality via USB-C and I don't have to carry anything else. Now, I've just finished a previous video and I think that raw recording was about 22, 23-ish minutes or something like that, somewhere in that ballpark. 
and obviously the regular video is not going to be that long. But this one so far, we're all recording. We're close to like 13, 14 minutes. Okay, so I'm pushing um, the better part of half an hour and I still have other videos that I need to record in the midst of using this camera. Big non-negotiable, the camera can't overheat. It has to be reliable. Now, a camera like the Sony ZV-E1, it's been questionable. And it's been a lot of like, if you do these combination of settings, is it a problem then or whatever? I've pushed this camera and pushed this camera beyond anything of what I would normally do. Uh, run it for way longer than I would ever do on my best of the best days when I'm feeling amazing. And I just, you know, I've excessively just ran this camera and doing stuff I wouldn't normally do ever just to see what the breaking point is. Yes, to make sure I could test to see where overheating limits are for a content creating entrepreneur, somebody that's doing all the kind of stuff like me, then I could say like, okay, you have this combination of things for this amount of amount time, then yeah, you may run into an issue. But regular course of the day doing stuff, no problem. So a camera like this, like I said, it's been questionable. And this is why you have to have your intended use case, your list of non-negotiables and the things that your camera must have, but there will be that small sliver of things that maybe you're not finding in the embargo day release videos. Cause they can only do so much. Like it takes us a lot of time to do really good videos. And even with systems, even with having a team and X, Y, Z, and when a camera comes out, you can't get everything in one video unless it's like a 30, 40 minute video or a live stream or you're just going for it and it's like a 50 minute video. That's like my camera menu settings video, stuff like that. This takes a long time, but everybody is not trying to sit that long. So because of that, you're not going to get every little detail in a video. So here's what you would do instead is look for somebody that's making the kind of content that you want to make and see what their personal experience is. And obviously ask questions in the comments um, of those videos and ask them like, have you tried it in this way? Are there any problems with this and blah, blah, blah. If you're not new or if you are new to cameras and stuff and you're not really super familiar with all the terminologies, that's fine. Cause they will throw terminologies out there. It could be like what you're hearing now a lot in videos, eight bit versus 10 bit, the dynamic range of whatever it has X number of stops of stabilization. And it's like, if you're new to all this, you, you may be asked like, what the hell does even all that mean? <laughs> And does that even matter for what I'm trying to do? And you may not be able to find that answer uh, initially, and that's okay. But what you can do is ask questions of, are any of the negatives, just blanket cover, are any of the negatives you mentioned in this video applicable for XYZ for your intended use case? And just see what they reply and see what they say. Or if you have questions about anything I'm making, I always suggest y'all leave comments under the YouTube videos because I've done my best to answer all of the questions on my channel. It's harder this lar <laughs> the larger the channel becomes, but I carve out time almost daily to make sure I'm answering people's questions. So ask me if you really want to know, uh, depending on what it is. So the list of non-negotiables, in addition to your use case, will cover about 80 to 90% of the ground. That extra bit that you're not sure of or, or whatever, start asking questions. Now, here's the other thing. Once you have your intended use case, then you have whatever recommendations or whatever's out that's catching your eye. 
and you have your list of non-negotiables, price should not be still at the top of the thing. You really want to start digging down deeper into the user experience. Stuff like, is the camera heavy? Because those are things that even if it's the best camera, you're not going to want to carry it around. So this is like a conversation, um, for example, one young lady um, who I've been having, uh, trying to go through and answer her comments because we're in the same vein of, we've tried cameras before, and if they're too heavy, it's annoying. Like I legit sprained my little wrist uh, using, <laughs> and it's not the A7IV's fault. I just, it just, isn't, it's, it was too heavy. It's just too heavy, at least for me, it's too heavy. So your user experience is going to be a big factor in whether or not you actually use this camera the way you think you will. Because a camera like, for example, the Sony ZV-1, it is a point shoot camera, it's really great. But with the lens being attached to the camera, because it's a point and shoot, you won't be able to get as blurry of a background, for example, as other videos where you can exchange the lenses out for different ones and get different kind of looks or whatever. If that's not something you're aware of, you won't know that that bugs you because you'll get a camera and you'll look at other videos and you're like, Dag, you'll ask, how can I do that? And if the answer is that's not possible on your camera, then that really sucks. And you don't want to waste your money buying something that just doesn't work, at least not for you. Now, pro tip, if you're going through and you're trying to decide and you're pretty much sold on what you think would work. And yeah, you obviously are paying attention to price because if that's the case, everybody would go buy a four or $5,000 camera if price was no issue. So it's still a budget, but when it does come to price, you need to be aware that prices in the camera space are not the same as if we're talking about video games, for example. So when people say like, oh, a $60 game is super expensive. If the normal going rate for a video game was a hundred bucks, $60 in that case would be considered cheap. So when we say a five, six, $700 is a cheap budget-friendly camera, you're like, dang, that's a lot. Some people's mortgage may not be that much. And so you're like, well, why am I spending more for this camera that would be budget friendly and it would be more than some people's mortgage, depending on whatever, it could be rent even. It's like, dad, that's half rent or that's a quarter of a rent, whatever. You have to understand like, what is the market like? What is that niche in the industry you get into? Like cameras and video. So five or seven, $800 camera is still considered cheap, entry level, budget friendly. It's in that range. Then once you get into like the, 12 to $1,300 up to 18 ish hundred dollars um, are really great cameras where you find a lot of sweet spots to have a bigger headroom uh, and, and like ceiling. It doesn't take as much to get all the stuff that you need in the camera. Even the things you may not be aware of that you later learn that your camera can do. And you're like, oh, dang, I'm so glad this is in there because we have XYZ opportunity that just became available. And now you know you want to do blah, blah, blah. So just think about stuff like that uh, when you're considering it. And then obviously last would be the price. Be willing to invest more in the camera up front so that you don't have to go through that song and dance like I talked about before of trading it out, trading it out for something and buying a new camera, which may be new accessories. It may be different kind of lenses or maybe you swap brands and go someplace else. Like that stuff is annoying as hell and it's just not worth it. So be willing to spend a little bit more than what you're comfortable with spend, spending 
And for most people, I've, I've looked at this extensively for most people. And when I've even looked at my clients, they're about two to three hundred dollars away from the price that they are willing to spend versus the camera that they need that will actually have all the bandwidth, the extra stuff that they need in the camera overall versus needing to, like I said, go through that song and dance like I talked about before. If you get those couple points together ahead of you making the investment, you can only do the best that you can do for sure, but you'll be like 95% of the way there. And there may be some concessions down the line like, oh, I didn't know that the IBIS or the in-body image stabilization is something that is important to me because I'm vlogging. So what should I do instead of that? Again, go back to the earlier point. I was like, if there is a limitation, ask, how would this impact me? Or what would I need to get? Or what, what would that look like trying to fix that and get their opinion of whoever's video or whatever? Like I said, if it's me that is doing that video, ask me what would be the limitations or what would be the options that I would need to do in exchange for that? Or should I consider something else? It's better to ask those questions than just kind of like squash and quell that urgency of like, I got to get it right now. Or maybe you see a good camera for the price that you want. You're like, oh, I got to get it because it's only seven left based on like Amazon or what have you. And then that becomes a little bit of a problem. But if you do these few things, you're going to be golden with picking out the camera that's best for you. And that's as close as you need it to be based on how you plan to create your list of non-negotiables accepting any limitations that the camera may have, but knowing usually for where you're willing and comfortable, like whatever price you have in your mind already, before you even look at stuff, it's like, I want to spend this much. Most of the time you like two or $300 away from the camera that you might actually need so that you don't have to buy another camera or running to that ceiling really quickly. Because if it within 12 to 18 months of you having a camera, you're hitting the ceiling. That means that we made a mistake in the beginning of making sure you hit a camera that made your non-negotiables and making sure that it fits your intended use case so you don't run into that problem. So that's where I'm going to leave it for this week's episode of the podcast. Let me know, are you buying a new camera? Are you interested in any of the stuff that's been recently coming out trying to make a decision? And I think so with a lot of people, that's especially what I'm seeing from like the comments that I'm answering on my main channel over just at the Diana Gladney YouTube channel versus this podcast channel, depending on if you're listening to this or watching the video version. But a lot of people are in that update season. Maybe they had older cameras and they've had them for a while and all the new like a legit AI tech coming and stuff instead of the buzz that just being a buzzworthy thing, it's legit. So <laughs> it's like if you've been running into having to do a bunch of reshoots because your camera had poor autofocus, let's get a new one. You can't do all the things that you want to do as freely because limitations on the camera or that back-end workflow sucks. Maybe time to swap it out. If I can save half of the amount of time that I'm spending right now with my current camera versus getting something new, that time thing is automatically going to save me money, which automatically makes the efficiency of the thing make more sense. Last point here. When you're looking at updating or buying a camera to begin with, do not consider efficiencies like I just mentioned. Because saying that 
I'm just gonna keep the camera. I don't need the update. It's fine. Like I'm good with what I got. For some people, that is true. For other people, it's just that quote unquote cheapness coming out of like, I don't want to spend any money for that. I'm not going to deal with it, blah, blah, blah. Ask me how I know. <laughs> It'll be something stupid that's like 50 or 60 bucks. And I only want to spend $20 or $40. And I'm like, I don't want to spend that extra money. I'm going to get the cheaper thing. And the cheaper thing sucks. Like I did this recently with uh, my vlogging tripod that I upgraded. I started to have that thought. And I'm like, I want to spend like a hundred bucks or closer to a hundred bucks. I want to spend just 20 or 30. And I'm like, no, it'll waste my time in the long haul to keep playing and messing with and looking for workarounds constantly for something that is that little bit cheaper that does, it causes more problems than it solves. And it just winds up being a hassle and you waste your own time. And I think that's the biggest thing as a content creating entrepreneur, don't waste your own time if something is more efficient, that could be a computer, it could be a microphone, it could be anything. Do what you need to do to be more efficient, get your content out faster, and your gear should solve problems for you instead of create them. So that's what I'm going to leave for this week's episode of the Entree, not Entree Chat, then that is the private podcast we have in the membership community. That's a daily one, but nah, we ain't doing that one. <laughs> That's what I'm leaving for this week's episode of the Video Simplified Podcast. Getting value out of these episodes, make sure you leave a rating or review. That definitely absolutely helps. And if you listen to a few of these episodes and you haven't left a rating or review, what are you doing? But as I love to end all of them, the wins, the, yep, you can tell it's been a day. <laughs> the winds of life blows on us all, but it is how you set your sails. With that, guys, with passion, I'll see you on the next episode of the Video Simplified Podcast. Take care. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode, but the value doesn't stop there. For more in-depth trainings, courses, and growing your brand using video, join the Video Simplified community at videosimplified.live.